The NFL Combine may be over, but that doesn't mean the implications of the Combine aren't reverberating through the draft sphere. And Doug Kide of PFF is joining us because he had a chance to talk to Arnold Ebikiti after his explosive Combine performance in Indianapolis. So, Doug, you and I already have uh, a common ground here in that I, I'm just—I don't mean to speak for you, but both fans of Arnold Ebikiti and what he did at the Combine. Yeah, absolutely. Really explosive performance from Ebikiti. Uh, you know, it's it's almost too bad that he only did the broad jump and the vertical jump because it was so explosive on both of those jumps. I would have liked to see, you know, what he would have done with the four-yard dash and some of the agility drills. But at the same time, with some of the recent numbers that have come out of Penn State Pro Days, it, it might be smart for him to wait on that until the Penn, Penn State Pro Day put those numbers out there yeah especially uh, last year with the official times coming from everybody's pro day because of the pandemic and Micah Parsons and Adafi Owe resetting what we think is possible of somebody weighing more than 250 pounds so pretty good bet for Ebikidi there as well um, but with, with with his performance there I think you you did something really interesting too in getting to know him uh, as a player and as a person uh, I'm a film evaluator here for Blue White Illustrated so I've taken a long look at what he does on the field it was interesting to hear his backstory being only here for one year in happy Valley. Don't have a chance to really get to know everyone as much as you'd like in these situations. So tell us a little bit about uh, Arnold Ebikiti's journey, not just from temple, but also from learning football early on in his career. Yeah, he was born in Cameroon and he came over to the States. He was either 12 or 13 years old. I think he told me there was 13 uh, because his dad was in the military. They moved to Washington, D.C. I think his dad was working in the embassy or something in the, in the United States. So when he came over, he said his first love was soccer. But basically, in order to fit in with his new peers in the United States, he was playing basketball. He learned how to play football. But in, in Cameroon, he knew absolutely nothing about football. So when he first started playing in high school, he said he was playing running back and he was playing safety. And at running back, he was trying to avoid getting tackled. And at safety, he was basically just trying to find anyone who had the ball and try to tackle him. It wasn't until later on in his high school career that he played wide receiver, he played linebacker. Um, and then, yeah, he, he went to Temple. He was very lately recruited prospect mm -hmm. uh, coming out of high school, probably just based on the fact that he was at a smaller school, uh, you know, inexperienced with the game. He was on the smaller side. So he wound up going to Temple because that was his best offer. And uh, he really didn't break out until 2020. And then after that, obviously, yeah, he did transfer to Penn State. And he said that one of the reasons they did transfer was that, you know, guys like Owe and guys like Parsons had moved on, uh, had, you know, had a lot of success and moved up draft boards and everything like that. Obviously it goes back to Eater uh, Gross Matos as well. So I, I think that that was one of the main reasons why he actually wound up at Penn State is that he viewed that that was a good place for him uh, to have a good shot at the NFL. Yeah, and PFF was very high on that transfer as well, coming in with Derek Tangelo as a pair of defensive line transfers. And both those guys, in, in a lot of ways, saved the defensive line for the Nittany Lions after P.J. Mustfer went down with a season-ending injury and, and having those guys... Uh, with with Ebikidi especially as the only true pass rusher where nobody else had more than, I think, 12 pressures outside of Ebikidi, who was one of the leaders in the Big Ten and in the nation. So his abilities on the field with that backstory, really impressive. What else did you, uh, what is your opinion of, I guess, you know, his, his draft stock after the combine and with kind of what you're hearing about him in the draft community? Yeah, I think that he he's solidly in the second round at this point. 
uh, based on, you know, he was a fifth year senior, if senior at Penn State. Uh, so he he's a little bit older than some of the other pass rushing prospects in this draft. Uh, he had, you know, basically one and a half years, two years of production in college. So maybe not quite as much production as you might want out of a out of an edge rusher. But as you said, he was one of the most productive pass rushers really in all of college football last season. Uh, over 50 pressures, I think he had like seven or eight sacks, number of QB hits, uh, ranked really well in what we regard as true pass sets. Yep. So, you know, really kind of going up against an offensive tackle, not unblocked, not, you know, it, pressures that count really. He did yep. very well in our grading system. So I, I would say that right now, like I said, second round, I think he helped himself with the broad jump and the, and the vertical jump at the combine. But I could see him even moving up a little bit more if he does impress at his pro day. And I know that some people don't take those Penn State pro day numbers um, you know, as, as seriously maybe as some right. others, but I mean, Micah Parsons was drafted extremely high last season. Oh, was drafted high after he really had much less production, uh, at the college level than Epikiti does. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I could still see him potentially slipping into the first round, but I would say it's safest to say second round for him. Yeah. And, and I'll get to his game in just a second, but I think a big factor in that is the depth of this particular draft class yeah. with the high end talent as well. That's in, uh, in contention to go number one overall, all the way down to, you know, maybe having five or six guys in the first round. So how do you think that plays into the fact of, uh, um, maybe need for players and, and positional things at the end of the first round because positional value some teams take seriously. Uh, I think uh, Joe Tryon, uh, I forget his last name, but uh, went to the Buccaneers at uh, 32nd overall and they were stocked at pass rushers. So is that a situation where if, if you've got a good guy, go take him, do you think, or the number of guys is that going to push him down draft boards into that second round and that's kind of where he's going to stay just because he doesn't have some of those, I think size is an issue at 250 for him uh, that NFL teams might not see him as an every down guy. Yeah, I think that you kind of have to fit him into a certain system. Doesn't have a lot of experience dropping back into coverage. So at, at 250 pounds, that doesn't help him as well. But no, I think the depth of a position in a certain draft class matters a lot because like not to use an extreme example, but obviously 32 pass rushers aren't going to go in the first round. Like at right. a certain point, teams view, you know, the value that's on the board. They they look at a player like, you know, possibly Evakiti at the end of the first round and say, okay, can we get a similar player in the second round? Because this is a particularly uh, loaded draft class at edge defender. I think that that could move him down quite a bit. And I mean, just looking at our big board right now, obviously Aiden Hutchinson way up high, Kayvon Thibodeau way up high. We could see Trayvon Walker go, you know, in the top 10, top 15 picks, something like that. Uh, Michigan's David Ojabo is way up there. George Harloftis. It, it's a really good draft for edge defenders. Jermaine Johnson out of Florida, he's been sneaking up into the top 15. Mm -hmm. So there's all these names there in the top 15, top 20 uh, that, you know, and if that many players go in the first round, there's going to be limiting edge rushers going at the end of the first round. So, no, I do think he's a talented player. I think he'll have a good NFL career, but there are just some of those things that are a little bit stacked against him. Like we mentioned, the age, the size, and then just how good this draft class is overall at edge defender. So it's interesting. You, you, you sparked a question in my mind about what's, is it just age? What's the difference between David Ajabo who really has the one year of production and Arnold Ebikidi who had production at Temple and then at Penn State and was 
comparable in the same conference as a Jabo. Is it just the age thing? Is that what people view as upside when it comes to two guys that I think have similar skill sets, similar size even, but one guy is seen as this rising superstar potential and the other guy who I think is the best pass rusher the Penn State has put out under James Franklin. You know, and I'll get to I, what I mean by that in a second, but what's the difference there? I think it is. I think age does definitely play a factor in that because we also didn't see Arnold Ebikidi really shine and stand out until his redshirt junior season and his and his redshirt se- senior season. And there there's a prevailing thought in the NFL that, you know, if it takes that long for a guy to get up to his peak potential, then maybe it has more to do with him simply being older and, you know, more athletic and, mm-hmm. and stronger and everything than these potential 19, 20 year olds he's going up against. Um, I, I also, I mean, we, we've been talking a lot about Epikides age, obviously on this, but I also don't know if we really actually know Arnold Epikides age right now. Um, and I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying that because he's coming from Cameroon or anything like that, but like his, his birthday is not posted anywhere on the internet right now. Like we know that David Ojabo is, is 21. I think he'll be 22 somewhat soon. Mm-hmm. Um, since Ebikidi was a fifth year senior, I would assume that he's probably closer to 23. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. We, we don't, like, unless you know, like I don't no. actually know how old <laughs> Arnold Ebikidi is at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's interesting just because of the way Penn state uh, has treated the pandemic like we haven't had a whole lot of in-person contact with players to really not that I would like walk up and ask him how what his birthday is or anything like that but but that's uh, some of these things that you you miss because you haven't been in person for two years so it is an interesting question like yeah I don't actually you're right I don't know exactly how old he is in this situation I want to go back to something I said though because I, I have to I have to preface I don't consider Micah Parsons to be a defensive end because he played line, pure linebacker here Absolutely. and everyone knew he could rush the passer, but they were teaching him that position at Penn State and then planned on unleashing the pass rushing skills later. Then he opted out of the 2020 season. Ebikidi, and this is, this is, I guess, going back to my same question about Ajabo or why he's not a first round pick is because the explosive metrics are there. 34 inch arms, perfect length for the NFL. His positional skills are better than the guys that went in the first round or went in the high second round with Yitor Grossmatos. He uses his hands and bends better than those guys. So I, I guess I just, this is me making my case that Arnold Ebikidi should be a first round pick, but I totally understand like the depth and upside and all of those things that go into a class. So ultimately, rising up draft boards is how you put in your article how he's being viewed right now. Is that rising to like 33? Do you think, and I know you answered this a little bit earlier, but like, do you think he's going to get in the first round from what you've heard and what you think? I think it's possible. And like I said, I I think that teams do want to see that speed, but before it's established, whether or not he's going to be a first round pick, I think it's possible. I think that really he's been driving up or like going up draft boards really even since he left temple, like it's yeah. been over, over the last year. Or so the, the one other thing, obviously, yeah, great length, uh, three, four inch arms. He is only six foot two. And yeah, the, the fact that he's only 250 pounds 
I think does hurt him. I'm interested to see what he weighs in at his pro day. I would mm -hmm. imagine that he'll probably be around the same weight because sometimes guys try to weigh in a little bit heavier at the combine than they do because they've got kind of they'll, they weigh in and then they've got some time to lose it before they actually work out. So I'm curious to see what what he weighs in at, at, at the at his pro day and everything like that. Um, but no, I mean right, I'm right there with you. He was out of guys that I've done these types of features on. He was one of the highest graded players that I've talked to. Like mm -hmm. I, I did a feature on Tariq Woolen, who's a cornerback out of UTSA, and we did not grade him very well last season. He's a guy that will go high basically based on his potential. The fact because he's, he's six, six four, four and ran insane. Four, two, six, whatever it is. Exactly. Like, yeah. like those guys sometimes and actually he's an older prospect as well. I think that he was a fifth year senior too. But there's certain tools that obviously you can't teach. And yeah. Arnold Epikides explosion is certainly one of those. Um, doesn't have the the ideal size, but if he does show out and run a four four or four five or something like that at his pro day, then I could see him rising even higher during this process. So I want to ask you now about another guy uh, because I, I, I'm going to ask you about two more Penn State players specifically, and I'm gonna I'm gonna start with Jahan Dotson so I don't seem like a Penn State homer because <laughs> I wrote after his his performance at the at the combine, he sort of left the door open for if a team didn't think he was what the NFL is looking for as far as a number one wide receiver from his testing metrics to his size, talk about arm length and all those things that he did not present at the combine. And then he didn't run that sub four, four. Is that some conversations that you've heard about where Dotson is after the post combine, or did he basically hold water of he's a really good football player and we don't care about the numbers because we see on film, he catches everything that's thrown his way. I think that there was even some question, I guess, about whether he's going to be a first round pick before the combine. I don't okay. think that he's a guy who, like you're saying, per particularly helped himself at, at 5'11 and 100, uh, under 180 pounds. Yeah, it would have been nice to see him run sub 4'4, especially since so many wide receivers did run so fast yeah. at this year's combine. The, the one thing that I'm almost throwing out from the combine this year is his three cone time. And I think that that's something that will improve a lot at his pro day. He ran a seven to eight three cone. A lot of the wide receivers actually ran three cones this year, but only two ran under seven seconds. Yeah. I think that part of the reason for that was simply just because it was so late at night when these guys were running, it was after, you know, some of them bench pressed in the afternoon yeah. and then ran their forties, did their verts, did their broad jumps, ran through drills. And then that's usually something that's safe for the end of the night, the three cone in the short shuttle. And actually later on with the running backs, I think it was a day or two later, they, they basically told them, okay, we ran out of time. You guys can't run your three cones and shuttles, do them at your pro day. Oh, and I didn't realize that they just told them not to. I thought they opted out because they put it at the end of the day and they saw the bad numbers from earlier in the week. I think so. It was based oh. on a report from Charles Robinson. I shouldn't claim this myself, but okay. Charles Robinson of Yahoo is the one who originally said that, that they basically told the running backs we ran out of time. But I think that that's also an element where they might have seen the wide receivers numbers and saying, okay, this isn't fair to the guys. If they have to run them at 11 PM, it doesn't make sense in the first place. And really throughout the entire weekend, we barely saw any of the agility numbers. And, and that's yep. something that I hold a lot of value in. Me too. Is those, is those three cones. Yeah. Is yep. those short shuttles. Um, who was the Youngstown state cornerback, uh, Zion. I forgot what it was Zion McCollum. Yep. He like, he set the agility drills on fire. He, he did unbelievable in those, but, but he was he the was only really one that did it. Right. Won. He was the only yep. one. 
Yeah. yeah. He was the only cornerback. So I don't know if you like found time in the Indiana convention center to do it or something or like <laughs> what that was when you actually wound up doing it. But yeah, I was, I don't know. It, it was, that was somewhat frustrating for me was just the testing in general at the combine yep. because I also, uh, this isn't getting into Penn state stuff, but like every running back ran way faster, like almost to the 10th of a second faster yep. than anyone expected them to. And I'm not exactly sure how that even happened because all this stuff is electronic and they're doing hand times and everything where, yeah, I, I love the combine, you know, measurements and everything like that. And this season I'm almost going to lean on the pro days even more than the combine. I, I, my thought was the NFL sold out the combine for a TV show because yeah. the order of the events. Also, if you notice, it was, we're going to do the 40, which is the crown jewel of the combine for the TV. And then they went immediately into the most interesting thing after that, which is the on-field drills and then save the other right. testing metrics. As you mentioned till 11 PM at night. The other thing is if somebody didn't want to do the on-field drills, then there's 40 minutes of cool down. You're not going right. to run those. You're, yeah. The order of events prevented you from collecting that information, and I think that was purely a TV sellout so you can get more eyeballs. But, Doug, the the lifers that watch the Combine don't care. They want the numbers. It's built on the love of the game and all of this information. That's what got you here. The casual fans aren't going to show up anyway, I don't think, to the NFL Network. Am I wrong about that? Do you, do you think that was a good gamble? I, I mean, I don't think it is. And it I mean, I was watching, I was at the combine until Saturday afternoon. Okay. And then I watched the combine on TV on Saturday night. And I think it was, yeah, still on, on Sunday night. And the first commercial coming out of breaks was, I think for like the pro football hall of fame gift shop, Yep. which is in Canton, <laughs> Ohio. It's like basically 45 a, minutes like South regional, of Cleveland. <laughs> right. It's like a regional commercial airing on primetime on NFL network during the NFL scouting combine. So I think that tells you in itself that maybe that Campbell wasn't worth it <laughs> when the top ad that they were selling coming out of commercial breaks was essentially a regional ad for the pro football hall of fame <laughs> gift shop. Yeah. Um, and no, I mean, I've been watching, I couldn't even, I'm old, so I couldn't even tell you how long I've been watching the NFL scouting combine, but like before I got into media full time, I would like take off work. Yeah. to watch the combine during the afternoon when I was working on the desk, not covering football. Like I would try to get my shift so I could watch the combine. And then, you know, up until I was actually covering the combine in Indianapolis, which makes it more difficult to watch the drills. That was something I loved doing. And yeah, putting them at night, it's just not the same, especially when you're there in Indy. It's like everyone's at bars at night. You can kind of watch it on TV, but not really. And no, I, I really do wish they would put them back on the afternoon because it's more beneficial for players. It's more beneficial for scouts, GMs, coaches, these guys who are de deciding not even to show up anymore yeah. because like, I don't know, it's, it, it's all, it's all TV at this point. And usually I'm fine with the NFL making money on these things, but like, the NFL scouting combine isn't going to make you that much money in the long term anyway, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. And the NFL does a great job of making an event out of literally everything. But some right. events you don't need to go all the way to the Super Bowl for. And I think the combine is one of them. Do you got a couple more minutes, uh, Doug? Because I know that we, we've we've had a great conversation yeah. already. I don't want to keep you too long. But I want to ask you about a couple more things. No, um, absolutely. Yeah. So I've covered Penn State football for, you know, this is just for you. I've, I've covered Penn State football for about a decade. Uh, and I... Did not have the ability to at the, at the point in time. And I love the draft like you. I've been watching since the combine went on TV. I did not go into the draft process trumping up um, and pumping up 
Chris Godwin enough because I thought he was a first round talent. And when he went in the third round, I thought that was a mistake. My guy this year, the only guy that I, I compare to of a guy that's being slept on like that, who I think is going to be potentially a star at the next level at his position is Jaquan Brisker. I don't understand why he's not seen as a first-round pick when it comes to his ability in the NFL that wants to play too high. You you have this too high revolution. You need to have guys that play at every level of the defense. Brisker does that. What am I missing about Jaquan Brisker why he's not seen as a first-round pick after tweaking his back and running a 4-4-9? No, it's a really good question. And he's a guy that... I mean, we were talking about Ebikidi and how he didn't have a lot of, you know, play on tape and everything. I mean, Brisker has been a really highly graded safety for us yep. for three seasons. He's played, you know, over 400, 470 snaps over the last three years. Uh, he's been in that, you know, 82 grade range uh, for three years. And, and like you said, finding a guy who can play back deep is difficult in the NFL. I covered the Patriots for a number of years before I moved over to PFF and, their 2011 defense was one of the worst I've ever seen. They tried to run a cover two with mm-hmm. Patrick Chung and another strong safety back there. And it's just like, it doesn't work. They, yeah. Their defense basically did not work until they moved Devin McCourty from cornerback to safety in 2012 and 2013. And yeah, those are the players that you need to find if you're going to be running two high looks or even, you know, one high looks with, with a guy back there at free safety. You need that rangy guy like Brisker. So no, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think that he's a guy who, you know, possibly could sneak into the first round, but it's, I was, I was asking, uh, I think it was a scout about this or or an agent or something. And, you know, they were basically saying that after those top 15 picks or whatever, like it's anyone's guess who's going to wind up in the first round afterwards. It's a really deep draft, which makes it difficult to predict who's going to wind up in those last 12 picks of the first round. And then also who's going to wind up on the day three of the draft, like any of these guys could go undrafted. They could go in the fourth, seventh round, whatever it is. So I think we're still at the point where it's kind of unpredictable where a lot of these guys could go. So Brisker definitely could still wind up going in the first round. He's another one who's a little bit older. He's going to be 23 soon. Uh, but that's the only things that I would really hold against him. Yeah. PFF's, uh, number one tackler at safety in 2020. And then I was trying to pull up, uh, reference the grades an 89.5 coverage grade this year as well. So uh, elite in two different things and played through a shoulder injury for most of the season this year. So, you know, I, I just wanted to go on record anytime that I get that, that the NFL is sleeping on Jaquan Brisker. Cause I think he's going to be exactly what this next phase of defense really wants and he can right. fill those roles. So that's what, that's my, my stump speech on Jaquan Brisker is over. Uh, so are there any other prospects from Penn state that caught your eye this weekend or for good or bad reasons or anything you've been thinking about that Penn state fans would be interested in when it comes to the guys, the eight players out at the combine? Um, not particularly. I, my, most of my attention was on, you know, Dotson, Epikini, uh and Brisker, but no, I, I think that it's another really solid draft class for Penn State, which I think is is certainly a good thing for the program in general. Uh, but no, beyond that, those were the, the top three guys I was really watching this year. Uh, one other thing you wrote about this week when you were putting out some of your notes over at PFF.com, uh, Alan Robinson was at the Combine. Is he yes. trying to find a quarterback for his kids at this point? Or what is he doing <laughs> with the Combine? Because he needs a, he needs to find a quarterback this offseason not the money he needs to find a quarterback this offseason yeah i'm i'm with you and some of the teams that are kind of being thrown out there for him uh, i'm not sure if 
you know, that's that's going to wind up moving along in his favor this year. But you know, it's interesting. It's the second time that he's been at the combine. Uh, he he tends to go when he's a free agent. It, it, it's extremely rare. Usually, the only guys who are at the combine are there for NFLPA purposes, or I mean, like they live there, whatever it is. But I think that, you know, he probably wants to be part of that process with his agents. He's got a few agents. And then there's also a rumor. I, I forgot who told me this. I apologize if it was someone in the media who kind of passed this along. But I, I'd at least heard that he has some sort of interest in being an agent at some point. So maybe that's he just wants to get used to that whole process. There's a lot of former players who have gone on to be agents. So it certainly wouldn't be a surprise if you want to higher profile names in there. Uh, but overall, it just seems like he wants to be part of this process uh, when he is a free agent. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's some teams floated out there uh, that are interested in, in Allen Robinson. Uh, I, I would not actually be all that shocked if he returned to the Jacksonville Jaguars, at least they've got a quarterback now at this point. I know a lot of people have kind of mentioned the Detroit Lions. They need a wide receiver. Uh, they might be willing to throw some money at Allen Robinson. But, uh, yeah, I, I know that the market is high for him and that there's, you know, a handful of teams that, that, are, that are pushing that up right now. Uh, Doug Kind of PFF.com wrote an awesome article about Arnold Ebikidi, getting to know him a little better, folding in the stats and information, the data coming out of the Combine. So check that out, PFF.com. Who else are you, you have coming up for fans that, uh, that are either subscribers of PFF or want to know more about the draft process? Who are you taking a look at next? Yeah, I'm actually talking to uh, Cincinnati quarterback Desmond Ritter on Monday. Uh, so that'll be really fun. Yeah, just kind of want to talk to him and pick his brain about what sets him apart from the rest of this quarterback class? Because uh, I did a piece on, I did a number of pieces on quarterbacks last year, just during the season, you know, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Mac Jones, Jimmy Garoppolo. And one of the things that people talk about with quarterbacks is intangibles. And, you know, if they're, if a team is looking for that player this year, who's like a winner, it's the most generic thing that someone could possibly say about a quarterback, but yeah. you hear it a lot. You hear about Burrow, hear about Mac Jones, like all these guys. And if there is one quarterback in this class that I guess you could, like quantify or, or call a winner, it would be Desmond Ritter. He won yeah. more than 10 each year of his college career. He was there for four years. Uh, he really upgraded the Cincinnati program. So yeah, I'm just kind of curious to hear even what his thoughts on that, on that tag, that winner phrase is. Yeah, he broke the ceiling, the the invisible ceiling, getting a non-Power 5 school into the college football playoff. So I think a, yep. a great person to ask about that. And by the way, that is that right there is what led me to PFF in the beginning is the the it factor the winner and all of these things that mean nothing that people throw out as a as a smoke bomb like they don't have an answer so bam and then they run away they say culture and then it doesn't mean anything so PFF tracks every play for college yes. football the XF are you doing the XFL this spring is that going to be think folded we are in? actually yeah I think we are well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of PFF. Well, doing, I use their stuff all the time. USFL, I think. Okay. And I, yeah, I think we probably will do the XFL too. No. All right. So you can check them out. PFF.com. Premium Stats 2.0 is super helpful. I know we use it all the time at Blue White Illustrated. Doug Kide here joining us from PFF. Thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely. Anytime. That'll do today and this week for the BWI Daily Edition. Make sure you subscribe uh, to BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. One dollar. 
12 months of access. You can't beat that deal anywhere. And of course, if you enjoyed this conversation with Doug, we do this all the time with media from around the NFL, college football, other players and prospects in the class of 2023 for Penn State football. So subscribe here on YouTube so you don't miss any of it. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll talk to you next week.